Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Sunday, January the 14th, 2024. It is the second Sunday in ordinary time, even though there's never a first Sunday in ordinary time. It's rather, it's the Sunday of the second week of ordinary time insofar as in the new calendar, in the Novus Ordo Mass, uh, Christmas ended with the baptism of our Lord, which was six days ago. But we continue to read about John the Baptist as we hear the gospel this morning, according to St. John. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So, this story is told in different ways, according to the different versions of the gospel. But here we have John. John really shows that it's not all about him. (laughs) For so many of us, it's all about me. Even for so many preachers and leaders, you will see it's all about them. We're not trying to point the finger. I'm just saying it's a struggle that we have as human beings that we want the recognition. We want that position of authority. We want our future security. And John the Baptist knows that his time has passed now. He's done his duty and now he, his duty is to take his own disciples and point them to Jesus. Go follow him now. He's God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Messiah predicted by the Old Testament. He's the Son of God. Who knows exactly how much John knows, but John does know <laughs> this is the one that I was coming to foretell. This is the one whom you should follow. This is the Lamb of God which later we're going to see in Revelation. And I mean, it's a fulfillment of the Passover, which right there is a very, very strong foreshadowing of the Eucharist. There's so much to be said about that. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about some of the words that are said between Jesus and these disciples. Jesus asks them, What are you looking for? And their response is, where are you staying? What are you looking for? Where are you staying? Don't you hate that when people answer a question with another question? However, maybe they could say it in a different way. What are you looking for? And their answer is, we want to know where you are staying because we want to come home with you. We want to know where is your home, and we want to come there too. It reminds me of the transfiguration where Jesus on Mount Tabor is being transfigured, and it's an incredible scene. 
And Simon Peter says, let's set up three tents right here. In other words, Simon Peter doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay right there where God is in his glory. What do all these things reveal? What they reveal is that we were made for heaven. We were made for God. We were made for glory. Now, in the, and I'm going to get back to these quotes here, but I'm going to talk about a little bit of a uh, phenomenon here, and I'm using that word on purpose. Uh, in, in the church, in the history of the church, so many of the church's teachings and preaching over the centuries has been about getting to heaven, avoiding hell, turning away from sin, and that's all good. These are good things. <laughs> These are definitely things we want to pursue. However, in the writings of Pope John Paul and in other writings at the time of Pope John Paul, we see what's called, um, well, he studied phenomenology. It's a new brand of philosophy in the 20, I mean, I'm sure it existed before, but there are certain philosophers and theologians in the 20th century that are phenomenologists. And Pope John Paul is one of these. And in Pope John Paul's writings and teachings, we see a transition that happens in Catholic theology. In so, and this is especially uh, shown in his theology of the body. Instead of saying, for example, Catholic, you know, teaching on the sixth commandment, instead of saying, don't do this, don't do that. This is this degree of a mortal sin. That's that degree of a mortal sin. And you're going to go to hell if you have this or that. Instead, Pope John Paul says, what are the desires of your hearts? And how can we turn them towards God? It's a positive theology slash philosophy. It says, let's listen to our desires because God made everything about us, not just the brain, not just the moral choices, the will, but God made the emotions. God made the desires. And this whole idea of one, it's not just an idea, it's our central focus for 2,000 years, wanting to get to heaven. Why? Because intellectually speaking, heaven is where we'll find the most truth. Well, that's true, but that's not the only reason we want to go there. Is it because heaven will shield us from the pains of hell? Well, that's true too, but that's not the only reason we want to go there. Is it simply because heaven's going to feel good? I mean, that's kind of where I'm going here, but that's not it. That's not the only thing by itself. It's all these things together. We say God's attributes are truth, beauty, and goodness. So there is truth, the intellectual part. There is goodness, the moral choice part, but there's also beauty. We desire beauty. And even more than that, think about a romantic relationship that you've had. Beauty might be the thing that gets you started in the relationship. You like the way the other person looks or you like other things about them that are beautiful. But then ultimately it becomes about the person. People follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, what are you looking for? What are your desires? They're saying, we don't just want to follow you and listen to you talk. We want to know where you live so we can come home with you. We want you, Jesus. We want the person. But what we've seen so far is amazing. We've heard truth. We've seen the beauty of your works. Now, in this case, it's just John the Baptist pointing them out. But with so many others, they're going to see crippled people get up and walk and, and their arms and legs straighten, straighten out and they're going to be healed. It's beautiful. We're going to see lepers cleansed, possessed people delivered. 
we're going to see the beauty of the human person restored. So there's a lot here that has to do with emotion. This is why I get into Pope John Paul and his phenomenology. It's so important that we understand these teachings and and uncover theology of the body more and more and more because we we live in a day and age where just simply going around and telling people they're going to hell isn't going to work. It doesn't work. We've, we've taught all these things, and yet still the numbers in the churches are so low. But what about we have a Savior who's come to fulfill the desires of your heart? We have a Savior who knows the, the depths of your longings, and he has come to fulfill them. He fulfills them in so many different ways. And even if we're talking about the sinful desires, I'm not saying Jesus is going to fulfill you know, your sins. Jesus is not going to lead you to sin. But Jesus is going to heal the things maybe that make us desire sinful things. And then our desires will be purified. But still the desires remain nonetheless. What are you looking for? Jesus, if, if anybody, I mean, if ever you've been in pain in your life and you take that to prayer and you meditate deeply on it, I mean, I was praying one day and I tell people this story a lot. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I felt in my, in the depths of my heart, I heard him saying to me, what is it that you want? You're obviously not happy. What is it that you want? What are your desires? And I fought him on it when I heard this in the depths of my heart. You don't care what I want, Lord. I fought him. Why do you care? You don't care. You just want me to do X, Y, and Z. You want me to suffer. See, it's that negative theology that, I mean, there's a place for that as well. The value of suffering, the value of the cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That's all there too. But there is this other side that says, I want to heal your hearts. I don't want any unnecessary suffering. Look at, I mean, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, but he goes around healing everybody. So there's something to be said about that. He's taken away people's crosses. The main thing is that we place our cross on Jesus's shoulder. He's the Messiah. You're not. I'm not. So for him to say, what is it that you want? What is the desire of your heart? Get into that with him. Talk to him about it. Reveal your desires to him, especially the sinful ones. He's not going to lead you to sin. But, I mean, with everyone, when there is a sinful desire, we have to look deeply and say, all right, why do I desire this? And what is it that I actually need? What is it that can satisfy me and fulfill me so that I won't keep going to these sinful things? Um. One very, very obvious example, there's many, many examples, I'm getting a little bit into developmental psychology here, but very, very obvious example, and I, it just reveals so many things, so many big things. What do we do with a baby when it cries? Well, a couple things. We clean away the, the waste, we clean the diaper, right? That has to happen to our hearts. Very often people are hurting, but they don't want to turn away from their sins, Turning away from their sins would take away their pain. But ah, that's a tough thing that is, can be challenging to get people to or to get to ourselves. What's another thing we do when a baby is crying? We put a bottle in the mouth. Or if a woman is nursing, a woman nurses her child. But let's go with that bottle image just for a moment. 
Baby stops crying when bottle is in mouth. Sometimes you don't need a bottle because the baby's not actually hungry, but they need that comfort. How often do we eat when we're not hungry, right? Because we need that comfort and developmental psychology will say if there's unmet needs in our childhood for whatever reason, we continue to experience those needs throughout our lives. I'm in a bad mood. I had a long day. I'm tired. I'm cranky. So I'm going to eat a bag of chips. Or even more, uh, an, an even more intense thing to look at is the alcoholic. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I can't handle my emotions. I can't handle the things happening in my life. And so I'm going to stick a bottle in my mouth, just like I would as a baby. What is it that we ultimately want that we ultimately need? Here's another thing that calms down a baby. And this is me when sometimes I'm in a bad mood, I'm hurting, and I just need a statue of the Blessed Mother. What do we do with babies? We put them in their mother's arms. Sometimes maybe someone else's arms work. Sometimes it doesn't work. They need mom, plain and simple. They hear mother's voice. They smell their mother. They know every little detail about their mother, at least subconsciously. They were in the womb, for goodness sake, for nine months. And placing the baby in the mother's arms, the baby stops crying. Like I say, for me, I will stop crying if you find a statue of the Blessed Mother and you put me on my knees in front of it. (laughs) But it's true. It's true. Um, But what does that reveal to all of us? We need to be held. We need to be loved. We need so many consolations because we are God's children. And this is why prayer offers us so much consolation because in prayer, we start to experience more and more the presence of God, that feeling of being with God, that experience of God is here. I'm all right now. Everything's going to be okay because I have the Lord. In Pope John Paul's book that he wrote as a priest, Love and Responsibility, before he became Pope, He talks about the levels of relationship. I love to talk about this. There's so many things to talk about. And he says how there's, well, I mean, you meet a person, you get to know them, you have commonalities. Over time, you develop common, um, it's not just common interests, but then there's common emotions. The same things make you happy. The same things make you sad. You're upset when the other person's not there. There's a sympathy that happens between the two hearts, as Pope John Paul would say. And then there's an emotional connection, but then at the higher levels of relationship, there's choices that we make even when our emotions are not there. Like the married couple that's together for 50 years through thick and thin. It doesn't have to be 50 years. It could be one, two, three, four years. We've lost this in our society today. What's interesting to me is that most of our society will deny, and I think it's like the level four of the Pope John Paul chart. That is, uh, I have to make choices for this person even when they hurt. This person doesn't seem very attractive right now, but they need me. They need my patience. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're depressed. They need me to be the bigger person right now and be there for them. And guess what? The emotional stuff, the level three stuff will return. But sometimes we have to make those choices that hurt, that are difficult. Jesus had to do that in dying for us. That's where take up your cross and follow me comes in. But still there is that other level, the level three of the emotions. 
in a relationship, there are emotions. What I was going to say earlier, what's ironic to me is that among so many devout people that want to deny the emotions, which is really a heretical state to be in, Jansenism, denying humanity, denying emotion, and Jansenism is just a repeat heresy of so many others over the centuries, denying the humanity of Christ, uh, Gnosticism, um, Docetism, Nestorianism, I forget exactly which heresy is which. But most heresies, they either deny divinity or they deny humanity. The one big one denying divinity is Arianism. Uh, But these heresies repeat themselves over and over again. So we have the most recent one, Jansenism, that says the body is bad, love is bad, marriage is bad, it's all bad. So there are more quote-unquote devout Orthodox people in our church that will say your emotions don't matter. Who cares how you feel? Just make the right decision and that's it. They live at level four and they've forgotten level three, even though at one point in their lives they might have fallen in love with their spouse. They fell in love with their children when they had them. They they certainly pursue the emotions, but they tend to forget that when talking to others. There's a judgmentalism that comes in. I've been told so many things over the years. I was very disappointing to a mentor of mine 20 years ago because I was so excited about the Philadelphia 76ers being in the playoffs. And uh, my mentor at the time said, oh, I thought you would have grown past this. I thought you would be better than this by now. Are you kidding me? I'm still a human being and this is my team and they haven't made the championships since 1983. And uh, even though they made the championships, whatever, it was around 2000, I guess, they still lost. Um, But... It's good that we have our humanity. It's good that we have our desires. So getting back to this reading, what are you looking for? Jesus asked that question. What are you looking for? And what are they looking for? First of all, we have to engage those desires in our prayer life. What is it that I'm looking for? But then also, what is it that they tell them that they're looking for? Where are you staying? We want to come with you, Lord Jesus. They already know the answer to the desires of their hearts. Who knows if they fully understand it? I'm sure over time they're going to experience this and that. When the disciples are with Jesus over those next three years, they're going to argue and fight and they're going to, you know, prioritize things that are not the priority. But still at that moment, they just want to be with Jesus. Where are you? Where is your home? We want to come. We want to be with you. And that is the ultimate goal. That is what heaven is all about. The truth, the beauty, and the goodness, that's great. Those are secondary. Those are attributes. They might encourage our hearts to want to follow the Lord closely, but ultimately it's about that connection with Jesus. Just as the baby longs for its mother, our hearts, the the total fulfillment of all of our desires is found in Jesus. And we go to Jesus through Mary. You know, there's the mother dimension, there's the father dimension. And Jesus, of course, leads us to the heavenly father couple things we remember as we wrap things up here. St. Augustine saying, Lord, I mean, St. Augustine, his confessions are so beautiful and there's full chapters about this topic. But the one famous quote, Lord, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We need to realize that more and more. Talk about the desires, engage the desires, listen to the desires. But then sometimes too, as some famous authors that I love to read like to say, sometimes we need to, you know, form those desires just like you'd form a child. We don't want to suppress them. We don't want to beat them up. We don't want to say, oh, no, I have a desire. Let me start whipping myself. 
Although, yeah, there are some pen, forms of penance here and there in the church. That's a topic for another day. Um, but the desires are important. What are those desires? And how can I encourage my heart to move in the right direction, to realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of those desires? Just like we gently encourage a child to make good decisions and to integrate what they're thinking and feeling over time. We were all made with a big hole in our hearts. Sin makes that hole bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more painful. But the more we fill that hole with Jesus, we come to fulfillment. We fill it with grace, with God's love, with prayer. Because the reason that hole was given to us, the reason God made us with that hole in our hearts, is so that he himself could fill it. Have a great day. God bless you.